Okay, we're going to do something here this afternoon a little bit different, maybe a little bit more on the informal side. Uh, what I'm going to need you all to do here in just a moment is to try to gather in little clusters, little groups around uh, a Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, raise your hand. Okay, very good. So most of you do, which is good. So if you don't have it, you can put your hands down. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to want you to try to find someone with a Bible. Uh, sometimes in camp ministry, there's a tendency, especially because you'll often have evangelists come in and preach. Uh, if you're not aware of this, an evangelist is wired by God, wired for the crisis, as it has been said. Uh, you don't always, an evangelist does not always, not always pre- appreciate the process, but will often look for the decision now, which that is needed and is necessary. But the danger of that can be that you don't ever play the long game and can actually lead sometimes to immaturity if you're not careful. So what we're going to do here this, this, uh, for this afternoon session is we're actually going to do what's called a discovery Bible study together. We're going to work through several passages. And what we are looking for in these passage is, passages is to discover who God is. Now I say that very strategically and very important because sometimes we can read the Bible and get very focused on what God does or get focused on what God wants me to do, and we miss the very essence, the very nature, the very DNA of who God is. And what He does flows from what He is, but what He is is very, very important. Let me give you a, a quick illustration to try to help you understand this. Uh, if you're anybody familiar with the name Oswald Chambers, let me know that name. Okay, a couple of you. Uh, his name is on the best-selling devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. He actually did not write that. It's all his original work, but it was his wife who transcribed his uh, messages and lectures and put those into book form after his death. Oswald Chambers was born in the late 1800s, and yet uh, at 27 years old, he didn't surrender to Jesus till 27. At 27 years of age is when he surrendered to Jesus Christ, and God began to mightily use him for 16 years. He would die at age 43 in Egypt during World War I. Uh, so in those 16 years, God used him mightily. But while he was in Cairo, uh, he was helping serve with the YMCA during World War I, preaching and teaching to the, the Tommies, as they were called, the British soldiers there. Uh, there was a good friend of his that was in, a, in the hospital, and he and his wife had gone to visit this friend, and she was on her deathbed. It seemed that she was not going to live. And, and so Oswald and his wife, her nickname was Biddy, so they went to visit her, they prayed with her, and, and uh, they came home, and, and according to what, the story that his biographer gives, they're in, they're in their home after visiting this friend in the hospital, and Oswald's in the corner, he's shining his shoes. Biddy's there at the kitchen counter, and she says, I wonder what God will do. Meaning, I wonder what God's going to do in this situation. To which Oswald responded, I don't care what God does. I care who God is. And the biographer made this statement. It would seem that that statement was cold, callous, or unfeeling. But it was not, for Oswald cared very much for this young lady. But what Oswald understood was, sometimes what God does can be confusing. But who God is, is never confusing. Do you see the difference? Sometimes we'll say, hey, this is what I do. Brother Mike could say, man, uh, hey, welcome to Southland. Camp is what we do. And, that, and then we'd all say, you know, hey, all right, camp ministry. But even if that was the tagline for Mike Herbster, he said camp is what we do. What I would say is, well, Brother Mike, what do you do when you're not doing camp? Well, I go to church. I preach sometimes. In other words, what he would admit is I don't always do camp, but it is what I do. Because camp is not what he is. See, there's things that Jesus does, but I want to know what does, who, who Jesus is because who Jesus is never changes. He never goes on vacation. He doesn't take time off. 
So here's what I want to do. We're going to do, uh, I'm going to give you several different references and, and, and to, to try to help understand this. Here's the first reference, uh, Luke 19.10. So I want you guys to maybe cluster in little groups here. It can be two, it can be three, probably not any bigger than five. But I want you to find someone around you. It can be behind you, it can be in front of you. But find someone who has a Bible and then cluster around that. And I want you together to go to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It's a familiar passage, and I want you to discover from that passage who Jesus is. Now, your tendency is to look at that passage and be like, oh, here's, here's what I see what God does. But I want you to try to see who Jesus is. So I'm going to give you just a moment to go to that passage, and I'll give you here maybe a minute or so. Just do it as a group. So I want you to be, do not do it alone. I want you to be with a group. And when you come up with your, with your uh, Jesus is statement. Okay, do you feel like you've looked at the passage and you've come to a conclusion what that passage tells us about who God is? All right, now I want to ask, let's start on this left side. I want two, two maybe, maybe two different groups, uh, uh, raise your hand and tell me what, what was the conclusion you came to from that passage. Okay, yes ma'am, right there in the middle. A Savior, a savior. okay. All right, very good. Yes ma'am? Son of man, okay. That's, all right, I expound on that one. So what, is that, what does that mean? If he's the Son of Man, which the Scripture says, for the Son of Man, so he is the Son of Man. So what, is that, what, what more does that tell us about who Jesus is? God and man. Why is that significant? Is that just, like, uh, is that just theology? Uh, is it the kenosis of Christ? <laughs> or is there something more? What, why does that help us? Yes, sir. He's part of the Trinity. Okay, that's the divine side. Yes, ma'am? What's that? Okay, um, only a man couldn't save us, so he's God and man. But you know one thing that teaches, tells me? He can identify with me. He understands. Like Hebrews tells us he was tempted in all points like as we are. But that helps me. That wasn't actually what I was thinking when you meant, but I mean, that's, that's really good. Okay, I was going in a different direction, but that's okay. All right, over here. Someone from the middle section, tell me, from Luke 19.10, what does that tell us? Yes, sir. Was that? Okay, where'd you get that from the text? Did you see that in the text? Luke 19.10. Maybe you're at the wrong reference. Okay, Luke 19.10 is, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, yes, sir, right there. Okay, that's great. Think about this. I want everybody to listen to this. this the Scripture says, The Son of Man has come to seek. So we look at that passage and we say, Okay, he's seeking people. That's what he does. No, that's who he is, which means he never stops seeking. He is a seeking God. Do you see that? Okay, somebody else. Something else you got from, let's go, uh, anybody else from the middle section? A thought that you had along that line from that verse. Yes, ma'am. Okay, now that's telling us, this is, this is good, that's telling something about us, but what does the, te- the passage tell us about who Jesus is. Yes, sir, in the back. Okay. So is saving just what he does? Does does Jesus do saving? He does. But is that just what he does, or is it who he is? Does Jesus take a break from saving? No, he's always a saving God. 
Okay, so are you tracking with what I'm doing here? What I'm wanting us to look at is look at these passages and not just look at the things that he does, but understand his very nature, his very person. So what was actually said in the back there about him being the son of man, that's very helpful, but let's bring it all the way to the application of realizing how does this affect my view of who he is? Because if I understand who he is, the very person Christ, it's going to change everything about my Christianity. But if I just learn about what he does, it may not affect me as much. Okay, so here's the next passage I want you to go to in your groups. The next passage is Jude 1.24. Well, Jude only has one chapter, so Jude 24, if you want to put it that way. And then I'm going to give you a second reference here in just a moment. So I want you to all go to that passage and try to discover from that passage, what does this scripture tell me about who God is, his nature? Okay, if you've looked at that first passage, you can go to Psalm 16.1. This would also be in complementary uh, to that passage, Psalm 16.1. So go to those two passages and try to see what those are telling us about who God is. And then we will discuss it briefly. Okay, I'm going to end this one right here. If, you, if you're feeling that natural tendency to check out, like oh, somebody else in my group is doing all the work, please uh, don't let yourself do that. Because really this, if you begin to understand the very essence of who Christ is, it will change everything about your Christianity. This is an opportunity for you to go deeper, okay? Let's start over here on the right side. So we looked at two different passages, Jude 24 and Psalm 16.1. What from those two different passages, there might be a couple different answers, but what would you say those passages tell me about who my God is? Yes, ma'am. Our safety. Okay, very good. Very good. So if you were going to, there's a tendency to, to, to look at that and just say, okay, that's, uh, that's something he does. How would you phrase that in such a way that it communicates the, the essence of who he is? So in other words, like we said, okay, uh, not just he doesn't just seek, but he is a seeking God. How would you rephrase that maybe? Okay, you could say he's a protecting God. All right. Anybody else want to add to that? Yes, sir, right here. Uh, trusting God. He is a trusting God or trustworthy? Okay, very good. Trustworthy. Okay. Yes, sir. That's the word I was looking for, preserver. Consider this, young people. Is it helpful to you to know that God is always preserving? Some of you say, I mean, I don't know if I need preservation. It's because you're still in high school, maybe, and haven't seen your first college school bill. (laughs) Then you'll need it. Okay, I'm going to move over to the middle side. Something that someone learned from that passage. Yes, sir. He is reliable. How often? 40 hours a week? 365. Yes. Yes, sir. I'm looking back to you. Okay, without blemish. And what was the last thing? Joy giver. Okay, all right. I'm, uh, let's see. Where from the text did you get that? Okay, all right. Okay, Raiden? Reliable, very good. All right, I'm going to move over here to the left side. Anybody else want to add to this? Yes, sir. Presenter. Presenter. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right, anybody else want to add to this? Yes, ma'am? Did you raise your hand? Are you just waving at somebody? No? Okay. All right, right here? Shelter. Shelter. Okay. Yes. Yes, ma'am. He is able. That's a great song. (laughs) That's right. Yes, brother. (laughs) 
Okay, uh, several months ago, well, actually, this has been about six months ago, we, my wife and I got to a, a church. I'd never met the pastor. We're meeting them for the very first time. And you all, some of you have seen Gilbert now. He's the, th- the little three-year-old. Uh, we were walking up to the pastor's house, and, and I was carrying Gilbert in my arm, and the screen door on the pastor's house burst open, and this little dog, and it's just a little yip-lap dog, you know, and uh, comes streaking out towards us. Yip, 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 yip. You know, and it's a small dog, like so small I could punt the thing 10 yards if I needed to. So small that when he jumps, he's not going to reach my thighs. He's a very small dog. And I'm holding Gilbert in my arms. And, and as we're walking up to that, the dog comes running out as barking. Gilbert begins to clamor, trying to get to high ground. He's clawing up and he's growing on my face like this. And he's my hair. Oh, no, there's so much for that hair to do. And he, he's trying to get as high as he can because he was fearful of the dog. And the whole entire time, I remember thinking to myself, this is completely unnecessary. Because I have, I, I, have, I have you securely, you are preserved in my arms. Now imagine with me if I put Gilbert back, the, you know, the dog comes down, and I, I put Gilbert down on the ground, and, and Gilbert goes, whoo, that was close, Dad. Do you know what I would say to my son? It was never close. There was no chance, because of whose arms you were in, there was no chance of you facing harm. That is the picture of a, of a preserving God. You ever heard the old song, I hold not the rock, but the rock holds me? Young people, that is the picture of spirituality. The greatest understanding, and, I, and I'd love to preach a whole message on this, but we won't have time this, this week, but one of the, the, the greatest understandings that every great man of God has ever come to is when they began to realize that my Christianity is all about Jesus and not about me. It's not about my faith in Him, it's about His faithfulness. It's not about how uh, uh, secure and settled and consistent I am. It's about how much he is consistent and how he preserves uh, even when I don't deserve it. Anytime in scripture when you see the disciples doing or saying something really dumb, it's because they don't understand who God is. We're going to look at one of these passages. Okay, here's the next passage. Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, 37 through 39. So three verses there. So go to that passage first, first, and then I will give you a second one to try to complement that. So what does this passage teach me about who God is, His very nature, His essence? Mark 4, 37 through 39. Okay, the next passage is 2 Timothy 1, 7. If you want to turn there, that complements this one. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Okay, do you feel like you've had enough time? All right. All right, let's start right here in the middle. Looking at those two passages, what are some things we learn about who God is? Yes, sir, Duke, right in the middle. He's a giving God. Okay. All righty. Let's see, Nike. God of power and peace. Okay, so how could you rephrase that that communicates that's not just what he does, it's who he is? Okay, he is powerful. He is peace. All right, very good. Yes, sir. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. That's great. And that's really good. Yes, ma'am. In the, uh, yep. Master. Master. Out of, over how much? How often? Yes. Okay, I'm going to go over here to the right side. Yes, sir. Fearless. Fearless. I love that. 
You, could you agree from those, both those passages that the Scripture is telling us He is fearless? Okay, put your hands down for just a second. Could we agree that the Scripture is telling us that God is fearless? Does that mean He's reckless? Okay, now there's songs about reckless love. I understand what they're trying to do with that. But what I'm saying is, the, often when we think of reckless, we, we think of just not thinking ahead, just bowl in a china shop. Is that who He is? No, but He is fearless. Meaning there's nothing in, in our world and in his, that is ever going to incite any bit of worry in the heart of Christ. Okay, in the back. Anybody else? Yes. Um, I can't see. I, so the young lady, nope, second row. Yes, ma'am. One more time. He is in control. How often? Of the big things, right? How small of things can God control and is control over? Okay, like a $5 charge on your credit card? Does he know about those? Is he worried about those? No. All right, let's go over here to the left side. What were some things that we drew from who, the, who God is? Yes, sir. He is a protecting God. That's good. Okay, listen. I want you guys all to listen to this. This young man said he is a protecting God. For the people he likes... He is, he, if you are his child, which, okay, so then he likes you. <laughs> if you are his child, he's going to protect you. And you know what? He even, he even is good to people who are not his children. He reigns on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Okay, he is a protector. How often? If God allows something into your life that you feel like, that didn't seem like that was very protecting. If you'd been protecting me, we wouldn't have had the blown tire and the bent, you know, axle. Like, he wasn't protecting us. And we could find ourselves doubting his nature of being a protecting God. But maybe the Lord knows more than I do, not just maybe he does, and maybe he knows that because I blew that tire, I'm not going to get in the wreck ahead of me. Okay? See, what happens is we often look at our surroundings and our circumstances and we doubt God's character instead of looking at God's character and then realigning uh, our perspective of the surroundings around us. There's a, a book that was written back in the 1970s about a, a Russian soldier uh, in Russia. His name was uh, Vanya. That was his nickname. I don't know if anybody has ever read that book. Uh, Vanya was a believer, and in the 19, I think it was 1977, he was murdered. He was martyred, really, uh, for his faith by the Russian KJB. And so th this has all been documented. Uh, there's one story that is told in that book where Vanya is driving down the highway. He's driving a bread truck, and the, the truck is filled with bread, it's locked and uh, uh, bolted in the back, and he's driving down the road, and the Spirit of God very clearly speaks to him and says, Vanya, slow down. And he thinks, why? And he keeps driving, and the Spirit of God said, Vanya, slow down. And he's, uh, he, he didn't understand why God would be telling him to do that. Out of his rearview mirror, he begins to see loaves of bread bouncing down the highway behind him, and he's realizing, that's me, I'm losing my bread, and they're losing my loaves, whatever. So he pulls over to the side of the road, and he runs back there, and he can't figure out, I locked the door, and yet it's open, and all my loaves are all over the highway. And at that very time, a large charter bus, I don't know if it was a charter bus, but a passenger bus, uh, came flying past him, went around his van, and kept going down the highway. So he and the guy that was with him gathered up all the loaves of bread, put it back into the van, scratching the head. That doesn't make any sense. Get back in the van, keep driving, maybe another kilometer or two, come around the corner, and there a train had smashed into that bus, and there was bodies everywhere. And he began to realize, God preserved my life. He protected me through something I didn't understand and didn't even like, but it was actually God's 
protecting nature. Corey Ten Boom said one time, do not struggle, do not fear to trust an unknown future with a known God. See, the reason we're doing this is I want you to know who is God because that knowledge changes how you view your life, not the other way around. Okay, we're going to do a couple more passages here and then we're going to be done. Uh, so let's go to, actually, well, is there anybody else I want to add to that? Okay, I'll give you, yes, yes, sir. Omniscient and omnipotent. Very good. Can you define those words? What's omniscient mean? All-knowing. And what does omnipotent mean? All-powerful. That's good. Okay, yes, sir. Joel Embiid. Comforter. Okay, very good. I, I, I do find this fascinating. I mentioned this a minute ago. Okay, put your hands down. Uh, every time you see the disciples saying something really dumb, it's because they don't know who God is. So what does the disciples say to Jesus in this time? Jesus Christ, Son of God, carest thou not that we perish? And I can imagine Jesus thinking, if you knew who I was, you'd know I came so you wouldn't perish. But they didn't understand who Jesus was. When the disciples say, hey, hey, Lord, that guy over there, we're not, we don't like his ministry. Let's call down fire from heaven and burn him up. Oh, that's not a good idea. Not a good idea. No, absolutely not. And that's what Jesus says. You don't know what spirit you're of. You're of the wrong spirit because that's not my spirit. See, every time we say something dumb like that, you know what it reveals? We've lost view. We've lost focus on who Christ is. Okay, here's the next passage. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Of course, all of chapter 5 is dealing with this truth, but I think specifically in those two verses it'll help us see this. So Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Okay, let's go to those two verses. And what does this tell me about who my Christ, who my Jesus is? Okay, if you've already managed in your mind, if you've already figured your answer out, and your, if your answer is he's a high priest, I want you to go deeper than that. Okay, hold on. That's pretty basic. What more does it tell me about who my God is? Do you got, I'm going to give you 30 more seconds, okay? Okay, I'm going to read the verse here. So we're all on the same page, and I'll start on my right side. So the verses say, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let's start over here on this right side. Yes, ma'am, right in the middle. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Well, a little louder. A sympathetic God. Do we agree that that's in the text? I'm not saying that exact wording, but could, do you see that in the scriptures? The scripture is telling us, no, 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 your God is not one who doesn't understand. He absolutely understands. If you feel there's no one else who gets you, Jesus does. I am convinced that every single person in this world, uh, from the people who struggle with gender identity to the people who are, are artistic, and I am not artistic, so those kind of people are weird to me, <laughs> Jesus can understand all of them. You say, Jesus can understand a person who's struggling with gender identity? Yes, the scripture tells us that his compassion, he's moved with compassion. It's not that Jesus struggled with gender identity, but Jesus understands that person and can heal them and can help them. Okay, so he's a sympathetic God. Okay, yes, sir, Dallas here. He's a God of mercy and of grace. Mercy 
and grace. How often? Anytime. Anytime? Or all the time. That's good. Yes, yes, very good. Okay, yes, sir? He's an advocate and an intercessor. Okay, so you certainly will see the advocate part. Intercessors in other passages, but that's absolutely true. Yes, sir, right here. Untouchable. I like that. Okay, explain that from the text. It's in there, but explain it to me. Why did you come up with the conclusion that he's untouchable? Infirmities. Okay, so has he, has, has he felt uh, being, has he ever been weary? Was Christ ever weary and tired? You think Christ is ever weary and tired? You don't think so? Okay, let's take a vote. Who here thinks Christ was ever weary and tired and hungry? Okay, all right, so most of us think that. Here's, here's the thing. If he was all man, he absolutely was. However, he's still untouchable. What, so what do you mean by untouchable? At least I think I know what you mean. He wasn't touched by sin, right? He was tempted, but he never committed sin. Now, sometimes we look at that passage and we say, oh, see, Christ doesn't really understand. One illustration, I believe it's C.S. Lewis that used this, uh, that I found very helpful. Uh, I don't necessarily like everything C.S. Lewis does, and you can argue with me on that one, but I did like this one. Okay, C.S. Lewis, Lewis gives an illustration of two men, a, a man and Christ walking into a gale force wind. Christ is stronger than I, and as we walk into the gale force wind, which would represent the temptation of sin, I, I cannot take the pressure of the sin, and eventually I fall back and tumble down and knocked over by the gale force wind. Christ, who will never succumb to sin, can walk in farther and go longer than I could ever do. In fact, will have experienced more temptation than I do because he didn't sin. Does, does that make sense? So he, when the scripture is revealing to us that he was touched in all points, that he experienced every level and more than we did, it's, it's really true. He's experienced all that I have and that what has made him a compassionate high priest. Okay, anybody else want to add to this? What does this tell me about who Jesus is? Okay, I'm going to, hold on, I'm going to go, yes, sir, there in the uh, grand, green shirt, I think. Never tempted. Okay. Uh, he was tempted, but he never failed, right? Okay. Tempted in all points. Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am, right in the middle. Mediator. Yes, ma'am. Oh man, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, I think it also talks about that. That's a comforting, comforting passage. Yes, ma'am? He's a helper. Okay. When? Okay, but according to the text, when is he especially a helper? In time of need. Okay, just a couple more. I'm going to go to this side, just a couple more here. Anyone else want to add to it? Okay. All right, I'm going to use you. Yes, sir. Sinless. Very good. All right, here's why uh, I bring this point up. A friend of mine, this is what he said to me. He said, to remember that Christ is a compassionate, sympathetic high priest. He said, this is particularly impactful to me because I struggle a lot with shame. When I can't stand myself, it's hard to believe that God could stand me, let alone have compassion on me. What he's communicating is sometimes we don't go to Jesus for forgiveness because we don't think we're forgivable. Sometimes we don't go to Jesus because we feel, I'm too shameful. I don't even like myself. How would Christ like me? But the scripture is saying, in your worst moment and on your worst day, he says, I still pour compassion. That's actually why I'm a priest. 
is because you need me on your worst day. The priest was there to atone for the sin. Okay, last one here. Before we conclude, so let's go to our last one. I'm going to have you go to John chapter 19. Actually, no, scratch that, scratch that. Uh, let's do Colossians 1, 16 and 17. And then a famous one, Romans 8, 28. So between those two passages, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, and then Romans 8, 28. This will be our last one here before we finish. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Romans 8, 28. Okay, I'm going to cut you off there. Let's see. How about let's start here in the middle section. Someone here can help us. Okay, actually, I'm going to go all the way to the back. Yes, sir, blue shirt in the back. Creator. Okay, very good. Did, now, did he stop creating at uh, Genesis chapter 2? Now, every time someone gets saved, he's creating a new life, is he not? You know, it's helpful to me to realize that he is an artist. When I don't understand art, artistic people, Jesus, who is an artist because he's a creator, he understands artistic people. Anyways, okay, creator, very good. There's a specific word I'm looking for. It's a theological word. Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay, he has the utmost power. So that's the definition of the theological word I'm looking for. Yes, ma'am, white hat. An ultimate God? Okay, what do, you mean, what do you mean by that, ultimate God? Can you give me a little, maybe define that a little more? How would you, def, why would you, why do you use the word ultimate? It's not an inappropriate word, I'm just curious, why would you use that? Okay, because he's in control. Okay, you guys are defining the word I'm looking for. Let's go over here, uh, Micah. Okay, omnipotent, yes, yes. That's not the, the theological word I'm looking for. Yes, ma'am, gray shirt in the middle. Consistent, yeah, that's good. Still not the word I'm looking for. That's okay, yes, ma'am. No, I mean, yes, he is, but that wasn't the word. Okay, right here. Sovereign. Okay, it was actually mentioned earlier uh, in the previous verses. Okay, now just listen to this. We as dispensationalists, if you are a dispensationalist, we get scared by that word. But it is one of the most comforting words in Scripture that you could ever know. Charles Spurgeon said this, There is no attribute of God more comforting to His children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children of God are more earnestly to contend than the dominion of their, of their master over all things." sovereignty. Romans 8.28, I have gone to that passage so many times, especially in my life of having to deal with bitterness at times and realizing that God in His bigness, God in His goodness can take the hurts that that person sinfully did towards me, uh, the, the, the painful things, that God in His goodness can take those and use those and sovereignly, because He owns and is, is over all things, He can work them together for my good. Sovereignty is not for just the Calvinists. Sovereignty is for the believer. He is working. Let me read this statement to you here before we finish. Sovereignty is not the umbrella authority of a passive God. It is the intimate, acutely detailed involvement in the smallest of details that when woven together makes the grandest design. 
See, what we did in this passage, in this study here, what I'm trying to help us understand is when you don't understand what's going on, you can understand who he is. We say, Lord, why did you allow my parents to get a divorce? Lord, why, that, that car accident where I lost a family member or, or a good friend, Lord, why did you allow this? And it's not wrong to ask why. The psalmist asks why all the time. In fact, it's helpful for us to pour those deepest hurtful emotions out to the Lord because He's the only one that can handle them. But you can rest, you can pillow your head, as Charles Spurgeon said, on the doctrine of sovereignty, knowing that God is on the move for my good. It's not just sovereignty, it's not just what He does, it's who He is, which means He never stops doing it. This summer, I did an eight-part series on who God is, taking a number of those passages that we looked at here today and started working through uh, uh, passage by passage, message by message, and developing that. What I believe we're going to do tonight in tonight's service and then tomorrow morning's service is we're going to look at two of those understandings. Tonight, we're going to look at the fact that God is a forgiving God, that forgiveness is not just what He does, it's who He is. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to be looking at the fact that God is a pursuing, seeking, initiating God. Pursuit's not just what he does, it's who he is. And so I, I hope in these sessions we can help to, to, to maybe adjust our thinking and understand a little bit deeply, uh, more deeply, if I can put it that way, about who God is.